Go ahead and grab a seat. Morning, Doxa. How are we doing? Hey, I'm Nate. If we haven't met, someone say hi, Nate. Hey, grab your Bibles. We'll be in Mark chapter 4, or grab an app. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you one. But we're continuing in this series in Mark, kind of taking week after week, passage by passage, unpacking this eyewitness account of Jesus' life and his ministry. So Mark 4 will be in 21 um, through 34 this week. This morning we're going to talk about expectations. Someone say expectations. I don't know about you, but I, I walk into a room like this this morning with a certain set of expectations. And often you realize your expectations when your expectations are not met, right? Most of the time it's, it's when you're disappointed or frustrated when your expectations are, are broken. I mean, if, if you walked into Doxa and there was no band playing, your expectations would be would not be met, right? I don't know if you'd be frustrated or whatever, but if, if we just started the service cold and got up here and it's like, hey guys, I'm gonna talk to you for an hour and a half, buckle up, right? Your expectations might be a little off. And maybe, you know, a friend you tried to bring, you'd be like, hey, this is not normal, don't worry, Nate's gone off the road, whatever. Or if I came up here and I didn't make you talk to me, right, your expectations would be shattered. I mean, come on. The crowds around Jesus were constantly having their expectations challenged because they, they were seeing this popular like movement thing happening and then Jesus would pick up and go somewhere else. Or, or they, would, they would try to, to welcome him in as the conquering king and, and get his kingdom going, let's do this thing. And then, and then he'd say things like, hey, I'm gonna die. Hey, that's not how my kingdom works. They thought the time of the savior of the Messiah was gonna be a time of political prosperity, social prosperity, financial prosperity, all of these things that when, when the, the Savior comes, when the Messiah comes, everything's gonna kick off and it's gonna be beautiful and good and easy and wine is gonna flow, we're all gonna have our own vine, it's gonna, be, it's gonna be amazing. And then Jesus is this kind of like wandering teacher guy. He doesn't go and fight the Romans, he, he breaks their expectations. Now, we're in church, so I'm not gonna make you admit this out loud, but have you ever felt disappointed by Jesus? Like maybe you came to Christ and you thought, okay, finally, like that's gonna solve my problem with this particular struggle, this addiction, or, or finally this conflict in my life, I'm gonna learn how to deal with that. Finally, uh, I, I'm with Jesus now, everything's gonna be easy, and then it's not. And maybe in fact you're, you're not a Christian this morning because you, you're even looking over and you're like, I don't, I don't know if that's gonna live up to my expectations. I don't know if this faith thing is really gonna work out the way I think it's going to, so I'm just gonna kinda sit on the sidelines and watch and, and observe a little while, keep my arms crossed, I'm not gonna sing, but I'm just gonna, just gonna check this thing out for a while. Sometimes our expectations are sky high in certain categories and Jesus, he messes with them. Now for other of us, we, we've been around Christianity for a while and, and I hate to say it, but your expectations are too low You've put Jesus in this kind of box where it's like, great, you've got my Sundays. Man, I'll even give you a night of the week at Connection. What more do you want from me? And then he keeps like pressing in on you. You're like, whoa, man, I didn't expect this. Like, hey, I thought we had a good thing going here, Jesus. You got me going to heaven. I'll give you some worship on Sunday. Like, what is this thing you're doing to me? Why do you keep pushing there? Why do you keep challenging me when it comes to my contentment or my money? My mouth, my gossip, my jealousy, whatever. Why do you keep doing that, Jesus? Haven't I given you enough so far? Whether your expectations are sky high in certain categories or set way too low, Jesus keeps messing with them. And, and, and if, we don't, 
if we don't diagnose and understand that, what do you think happens to us? I think it leads to, at best, kind of an apathy, a frustrated, bored, boring Christianity that's putting on a show, or at worst, we just totally walk away. Nah, that's not what I signed up for. I don't want it anymore. Uh, uh, Christianity didn't work for me. I don't know if you've heard that before. Maybe the issue isn't with Jesus not living up to our expectations, but our expectations being wrong from the start. Great, thanks Bobby, you got me. Okay, here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna look at, at four parables where Jesus is trying to reset our understanding of what the kingdom of God looks like. Two of those parables are gonna be more about like the, the kingdom and how it grows and how it works, and then uh, the other two are gonna be flipping a mirror on us, our response, our, our understanding of how these things work. And the question we need to ask is kind of a more basic, fundamental question. What kind of kingdom is Jesus offering? When we get that right, it will begin to reset and reorient all of our expectations from there, okay? You guys ready? Some say, yep. Let's do it. All right, Mark chapter four. I hope you're already there. We're gonna jump down to verse 26. If you remember last week, there was, it was the parable of the sower and the soils. Jesus is using these pictures from everyday life to talk about a reality, a deeper truth about his kingdom, to try to catch people's attention and even stick in people's minds as they would walk down the road and see somebody planting seeds or whatever. It would, it would bring to mind what Jesus had been saying. So we're gonna start with one of, one of these two parables about what the kingdom looks like, and we're gonna hit those two and then go back up and talk about us and our hearts, the way Jesus exposed them. So Matthew, or Mark, excuse me, chapter four, starting verse 26. And he, Jesus, said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Familiar, right? That sounds like last week. Farmers didn't have giant cultivators. They would kind of scatter seed after they'd till it. Scattering seed on the ground. Verse 27, he sleeps and he rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Okay, what? Um, he's like describing just like a farmer doing his thing, right? He's describing an everyday thing for people and he's like, yeah, yeah, when you look at that, you understand something about the kingdom of God. What is he talking about? I think the key to this little parable here is at the end of verse 27, look look back there, it says, he knows not how. Jesus is emphasizing something for them that that might be a little bit tricky for us to understand in our historical context. For them, they, they were familiar with agriculture. It was all over the place, right? Farms weren't kind of set off far away where you would ship grain around the country or whatever, but you'd have small farms, even family plots around a town, around a city. Agriculture was just a very normal thing. So even as you were walking to the next town, you'd see farmers out, you'd see this whole process. But he highlights in here that the farmer has a certain stewardship. They, they know some things they need to do. They need to plant and they need to harvest. But there's a lot of the process that they hadn't mapped out. They didn't have degrees in agronomy or soil science or whatever, right? They didn't understand the genetics of how these plants were gonna grow, but they knew they had a a few things that they needed to do to be stewards in this process. Scatter the seed, plant, wait, harvest when it's time. Just like agriculture was a very common kind of everyday thing for them, faith was also very normal. They were in a religiously saturated culture So as Jesus is trying to use this everyday example, he's also trying to help them think about their faith, their their expectation of the kingdom of God, the way the kingdom works. I mean, young Jewish boys would spend years studying the Torah. 
So they were supposed to have a knowledge, this kind of wealth of knowledge in everyday life of what their faith was supposed to look like. And there was so much common expectation about what the Savior coming was going to look like. They had so many expectations built up of the way that God was going to work. And faith was woven into every part of their diet, their clothing, all of this stuff. So, so you could go to a room like this and everyone had a common understanding of the way things are supposed to happen just like, just like with farming. But the way the kingdom worked wasn't, wasn't the way the Pharisees and the religious leaders thought it would work. Building up kind of tradition and ritual and, and, and all of these things to try to shore up people's obedience. And it wasn't quite how the, the tax collectors or the, the collaborators with the Romans worked. They thought if we just get access to political power, then we can kind of help the kingdom come and, and help everything go well for our people. Or even the, the zealots who were these, these kind of military extremists where they thought if we can just kick off a religious war with the Romans, then that'll help the Messiah come. The kingdom worked a lot more like a farmer than like any of those pictures. Now we suffer from what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. I don't know if you think of yourself as a snob, but sometimes we look at this and we're like, oh, those poor people, they don't know how seeds work. Ha, 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 right? Isn't that how you read? No? Okay, that's just me. But we do this thing where we're like, oh, yes, they didn't understand the way seeds work unlike us, right? You, you could go right now and look online and get diagrams and videos and, and college lectures of, of how this entire process works. And unfortunately, what can happen then is, is we can miss the point here. We think, oh, if we only just know more, then it'll work out fine. If we could just know the way that this is supposed to happen, yeah, yeah, we wouldn't be like those simple people back then. I, uh, my wife and I were in Albania for a year. Who else has been to Albania in here? Great. Hey, yep, one. That's surprising for a room like this, but okay. Um, I, I had spent my time in college, like serving in college ministry, and then my wife and I got married, and we'd had overseas experience, and I was working on, on the staff at Cornerstone um, that planted this church, and got a master's in theology, had writ, read books and written papers and all this stuff, and so we were going to Albania to kind of like consult and help this church plant college ministry, and my thought was like, yeah, man, let's do this thing, right? Let's kick it off. There's going to be a church planting movement all throughout Eastern Europe because we're going to help them and help them integrate college students and all this stuff. Let's do it. I had had overseas experience. I had a lot of knowledge. And so I thought, man, the hardest part of this is just going to be like learning Albanian because they didn't offer that in my high school. I don't know about yours. That, that'll, be the, that'll be the trick. And, and what I didn't realize was the hardest part wasn't going to be the, the culture like the Albanian culture and the language and all that, but the hardest part was gonna be that I had a really big theological brain and like a really small heart. I knew a lot of the way these things were supposed to work. I knew like, okay, if you just have this answer and you do this and whatever, I thought the answer was if I can just transfer my knowledge to you, if you can just understand what I understand or read the books that I've read, then the kingdom's gonna kick off. Then this thing is gonna explode. Then this thing is gonna grow the way it's supposed to. I, I mistook knowledge for the way of the kingdom. Can you relate to that? You're like, no, I've still never been to Albania in the last two minutes, okay. But, but maybe you found yourself struggling with a sin that you can't seem to shake. And, and you keep going at it like, man, if I just read the next book or listen to the next podcast, then I'll finally get it. Man, if I can just learn a little bit more, if I can just know a little bit more, then it'll finally change me. 
if, if, if that person just like took two verses and saw me in the morning, right, if they would just do it, if they would just stop sinning, then things would finally get better. There's something about, even the way we misunderstand this parable that highlights our expectation of the way the kingdom works. Man, if I can just know my way into it and understand the process, then, then I'll finally, then it'll finally, then I'll finally see it happen. If I'm going to be honest with, with myself, I think part of that is my desire to be in control. Sometimes we can use this right information, this knowledge, to stay in the driver's seat. Man, if I can just learn my way there, then I can finally know how it's supposed to go. Man, if I just keep reading my Bible, then I'll finally know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Then I'll finally know these things. And rather than getting to know God, it's about knowing the right answer so that I can stay in the driver's seat. I can stay in control. I can keep it manageable. It sounds a lot more like the Pharisees trying to set up a religious system or the tax collectors and collaborators trying to, to work with Rome or the zealots trying to kick it off by stabbing a soldier. I hate to say it, but the way that we treat even truth, good truth, we mistake information for transformation. And we miss the way of the kingdom. The kingdom works in unexpected ways. This farmer stewards a process rather than controlling the process. There's something about the kingdom in there, the way the kingdom works that is unexpected. That's the first parable of the kingdom. Let's, let's look at the next one. It's gonna kind of complement and fill in this picture. But the first thing Jesus says again is, is the kingdom works in an unexpected way. Outside of your control, outside of your, your, your management and your power, there's a stewardship, but it's still not under your authority. Now, look at the next one, verse 30. He, Jesus said, what will we compare, with what will we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of a mustard seed which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, yet when it's sown it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, puts out large branches so the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. I've never been to a mustard farm before, um, but, but I've seen pictures on the internet of mustard plants. And I've seen like, have you ever seen those like necklaces with a little mustard seed in it or something, right? The seed that is so tiny and so small it could fit on the tip of your finger. He's drawing a deliberate contrast between the, the small seed planted and the large plant that grows, right? It's a deliberate contrast between the start and the result. And even the words he uses at the end here, it's, it's a conscious allusion to something in the Old Testament. When he says in, at the end of verse 32, he says it grows up so large that the birds of the air make nests in its shade. If you're around for our Daniel series, in, in Daniel chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream about his kingdom. It's like a tree, and one of the descriptions of this tree is that the birds of the air come and nest there. Jesus is saying, this kingdom growth that starts so small, almost insignificant you would overlook it, can grow so much that it has an impact like a great historical empire. The results are unexpected. Now again, he's using an illustration for them that, that was normal everyday life. They would see mustard plants around. But I wonder if he's playing off of something that we saw last week where there's a crowd and there's a committed. Because the people around Jesus were coming because of, because of the spectacle, because of the excitement. 
Like when Jesus showed up on the scene, it was like this, this like religious revival and political revolution all wrapped into one. When you showed up to a Jesus rally, you were gonna hear amazing teaching and then see demons cast out, right? I would wanna be there. It would be amazing. But over and over, this crowd of people had their expectations broken, busted when Jesus didn't do what they thought he would do. Like, like, remember Palm Sunday a few weeks ago. The crowd is welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem and saying, Hosanna, save us, son of David. We will lay down our cloaks on the ground, our, our most precious possessions, because you are worthy. And they're expecting him to go into Jerusalem and kick it off. Get the Romans out of here. Let's establish my kingdom. It's come. Let's do this thing right now. And what does he do? He walks around a little bit, looks at the temple, and leaves. Over and over, they're, they're, they're expecting him to do certain things and, and have a kingdom kind of result, and yet he keeps telling them things like, hey, I'm going to die. What? Hey, my kingdom is not of this world. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm more like the crowd than I want to admit in this one as well. And... I want to talk to church people for a minute here. If you're like, I'm not a church person, you can listen in, that's fine, but I'm, I, I work at a church, I'm a church guy, okay? I think, I, I think in my expectations, I look a lot more like the crowd than like the mustard seed sometimes. Here's what I mean. I get excited. I, I was stoked on Easter Sunday when we had baptisms and worship and the place was packed and it was filled and it was, it was awesome, right? Some of you are like, yes, where are you going with this? To be honest, sometimes I can get more excited for that than the mustard seed of confession on Good Friday. Or the mustard seed of people praying. There were people praying in this building from the end of the Good Friday service to, to the Easter Sunday service. I can look at the, the results and I can totally miss the seed. Or we get excited by, by like volunteer pushes and everyone showed up to this event and it was awesome. And we can miss out on the mustard seed of just meeting a neighbor and hearing more of their story. We can get excited in Christian culture about the latest podcast or book or conference that we, that we went to and we can miss the mustard seed of just reading your Bible because it feels so small. It feels so insignificant to do that again today. We can get excited by, by stories of life change and transformation, people coming from death to life, which is incredible. I am not for a second diminishing how beautiful that is. Addiction broken, marriage is healed, bodies healed. And we can overlook the mustard seed of showing up to a connection group, confessing sin and having the gospel spoken over each other. Is that just me? I think when Jesus, even when he told the crowd this parable, I wonder if he was thinking about how his church would start. It didn't start with this massive crowd coming together and and rallying and, and, and taking over Jerusalem. It started with Jesus dying raising and going to heaven and then leaving a small group of people praying in an upper room. What a mustard seed. Or, or the way the kingdom worked even in his disciples' lives. Guys like Peter who were here, he was one of the eyewitnesses behind this account. What it looked like in his life is this brash, arrogant sometimes guy who's always opening his mouth, even, even confronting Jesus and saying, you're not gonna die. Denying Jesus at one of his lowest moments but the seed of the kingdom growing and sprouting in his life. Unexpected results where he becomes the kind of man that, that later in Second Peter would write, hey, add to your faith, knowledge, 
self-control, steadfastness. Things that were not natural in him, things he didn't kind of muster up himself, but it was the kingdom sprouting and bearing fruit in his life. I think sometimes we, we can look a lot more like the crowd where our expectation is if the kingdom is going to come, it's going to come big and loud with a ton of people. And Jesus is, is challenging our ex- expectations. No, 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 the kingdom comes with unexpected results when you see how small it starts. Confession, repentance, proclaiming this message, lives changing. We see two parables of of Jesus trying to change our expectation for the kingdom that kind of work together. This kingdom comes in unexpected ways, like a farmer planting seeds but not knowing how it works, and it comes with unexpected results when you look at how small the start is. It's outside of our our management. It's outside of our control. It's outside of our expectation for what it's supposed to look like. It keeps popping up in our lives and our world in ways we wouldn't have anticipated. And maybe as you're hearing these parables, you're, you're feeling a little bit of something I've been feeling studying this. There's something that Jesus is doing pressing on the way that I think about faith. We're gonna look at a a pair of parables that that flip it onto us. It's like a mirror exposing our hearts in this. Jump up to verse 21, let me show you what I mean. He said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, not on a stand? Like would you bring a lamp into a dark room and and then cover it up? No. Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, this is coming in the context of him talking about how his kingdom works and how it spreads. He's saying this message about the kingdom is like a light in a dark place. By its nature, by its design, it's going to begin exposing darkness. It exposes where the world is not in line with God's heart and his priorities, but it also exposes in us where we miss, where our expectations are off, where our lives are not in line with what God has for us. Again, he says it, nothing is hidden except be made manifest. By design, this message is exposing. Like if you try to remove that confrontation part of the message, then you miss it altogether. If you smooth over all of the edges so it's completely palatable, all of a sudden you've lost what this message is itself. And it's a foretaste of the fact that everyone will stand before the God of the universe and give an account for our lives. This message that begins exposing about the kingdom Again, it's just, it's pointing to the reality that everything one day will be, will be laid open before the God of the universe. This message inherently is exposing, even when we, when we just share it. Look at the next one, verse 24. He said to them, pay attention to what you hear. Like, listen up. Listen to me. Think about this. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Okay, that, that last part in verse 25 can get confusing if we pull it out of context. Sometimes you pull it out of context and you start talking about prosperity, money, and all of this, but he's talking essentially about, about faith. Like when you're looking at Jesus, if, if you have even just a little bit of faith to see him for who he is, you're gonna see and experience and understand more, but if you look at Jesus and you're like, no, 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 I don't want any of that. Even even the little bit of the knowledge of God you have, you get more and more blind to it as you turn away. In verse 24, he talks about the measure that you use. It's another spot where we can get it twisted because, because our time is so different from there. But historically, weights and measures were a really contentious thing. 
I don't know if you've read much of the Old Testament, but, but God is constantly saying, have a fair and a just like, shekel. Like your weights and, and your measures should be fair because throughout history, depending on the town you lived in, you'd use a different weight. A pound wasn't a pound in this city versus that city. Or if, if you and I are, are, are bartering and I'm trying to sell you arm lengths of rope, are we measuring my arm or your arm, right? Because I got a short arm, so let's measure mine and I'll sell you less. If, if it's a basket full of grain, whose basket are we using? There are all kinds of local rules about these things. So Jesus is saying, hey, the measure that you're using when you listen to my words, the set of expectations you put on me, that's actually gonna shape how you see this message. If you look at me cynically, expecting me to give you a certain, uh, certain life, a certain lifestyle, certain results, you're gonna miss it. If you treat me as if I'm just a, a, a genie to give you the kingdom that will give you exactly what you've always wanted, you're gonna miss it. But if you begin to let me reorient your perspective, your expectation, you're gonna see something. You're, you're gonna see a kingdom blossoming in your life. The measure that you use though, the thing that you're bringing to Jesus, it's, it's exposed by the message itself. This message he gives about the kingdom exposes our hearts even as we hear it. And one of the amazing things about this passage is, is in a couple chapters, the people listening to this would actually go out with this same message. Jesus would send out 12 of his disciples to go share this news because what happens is when this light shines on your life and when, when you see a little bit more of who Jesus is and, and measure him with a, a fair and a just measure, all of a sudden something happens in you where you go out and you start sharing this too. None of the 12 that went out were trained theologians. They weren't practice orders. They were very normal people. And yet the message would begin exposing hearts and lives because the power is in the message, not the messenger. And sometimes the most unexpected people were the exact people God would choose to use for this message to go out. Even think about it, Peter, this guy who's such a schmuck sometimes, he becomes the apostle to the Jews. He's the one preaching in Jerusalem when he's from kind of a backwater town. He's an everyday fisherman, not, not a trained scholar or theologian. Or Paul, who's, who's considered one of these brilliant minds. He's a trained religious scholar, and who, who does he become? He becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. God takes him and he says, hey, all of your expertise, all of your power and your knowledge, I'm actually gonna flip it on its head and send you to people who don't really care that you're a Jew, Jewish scholar. They don't really have this background in the Old Testament, and you're gonna go proclaim because, again, the power is in the message, not the messenger. with these two parables of the kingdom and then the parables that, that flip the script on us, here's what Jesus is trying to show us. The kingdom works in unexpected ways with unexpected results in and through unexpected people. And sometimes our expectations are exactly what stop us from seeing that. To put it more simply, Jesus offers an unexpected kingdom. Okay, even as I say that though, I don't mean unexpected because Jesus changed the plot, right? Jesus didn't come onto the scene and start something new. Actually, the whole Old Testament was promising and prophesying he would come just like he did. It just wasn't what we expected. Where they expected a king to come and, and declare war on Rome and beat their enemies in a physical sense, Jesus comes as a conquering king, but conquering through his death conquering sin and Satan and, and death itself on the cross, our king would come in an unexpected way to wage war, the war that we needed won. 
He didn't come first with an army to kick out Rome. He came with a cross as the final sacrifice so that you and I could be right with God. He didn't come first as a conquering king to to stake out the geography of his kingdom and kind of plant a kingdom in Jerusalem. He came first conquering heart to heart and life to life where the kingdom would infiltrate every kingdom in the world. He didn't come first to establish a certain sense of prosperity in your life. Although he can bless you in the ways he chooses to, but, but first he invites you to the riches of heaven to be adopted into God's family, to be a co-heir with him. Friends, Jesus is not the king we expected. He doesn't bring the kingdom that we expected, but he brings something so much better, so much better. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this expectation flipping and defying kingdom? Listen, if you, have, if you have bought into a version of Christianity that was all about your prosperity or your comfort or Jesus doing the certain things that you really want him to do in the world, can I just tell you that is a recipe for disaster. You're going to feel let down and it's not actually Jesus' fault, that's on you. But today, would you even let Jesus provoke you to surrender? Would you let this good, unexpected king who, who fulfilled every prophecy in the Old Testament, this king who promised all the way back in Genesis 3 who would come to conquer your sin and your death, not just your debt and your conflict, would you, would you surrender and lay down your life for that king? Would you let him welcome you into his kingdom? If you are a Christian and you feel let down by Jesus, can we just... Can we just take a moment to examine the expectations that got you there? Like maybe, maybe, just maybe, it's not, it's not actually his fault. Maybe you had set certain boundaries around your life that you didn't want him to violate. Or you set certain, certain promises on your heart that you thought you've got to fulfill it in this way, Jesus, otherwise you're not good, you're not faithful. Would you just for a moment allow the Spirit to expose those in you and surrender them back to his feet? Just because he's unexpected doesn't mean he's not good. Just because he's unexpected doesn't mean he's not for you. Just because he's unexpected doesn't mean he's not actually working in you in some ways that will bear incredible fruit if you would just surrender the process. Steward what you have to steward, but trust him to bring the growth. Would you for a minute even just examine your life in the places where you've overlooked the mustard seed of the kingdom? What is that thing that he has been calling you to? Is it a conversation with that neighbor that you're like, no, nah, there's no way they're gonna come. There's no way they'll come to church. There's no way they'll talk to me, whatever. What, what is that spot that he's been provoking you? Is it confession that you've been withholding because, because you weren't in control of what happens after that? Is it sharing with somebody or giving up on sharing because, because you've tried your best, you've done all your work and, and you can't see any way that it's gonna happen here? Would you let the unexpected seeds of the kingdom even be planted because the power is not in the messenger, it's in the message itself? Would you stop shaving the edges off the gospel to make it more palatable? Yeah, don't be a jerk, right? But, but sharing this message and letting it expose hearts in front of you just like it exposes your heart. Doxa, I don't know what expectations Jesus has been messing with in you. But I know for me this week as I've been studying, it's been about my control. My grasp and my management on how things are supposed to work or, or my addiction to knowledge. 
substituting knowledge for, for life change. It's been messing with my expectations of, of what I'm looking for when I look at the results and I miss out on the mustard seed. It's been messing with my expectations and even of, of what this harvest could look like in our city. When I look out and I see the, the number of lives that Jesus has already changed and the impact he might have through you planting seeds all through our city. Like what would happen if we, if we let this message of the kingdom infiltrate every part of our lives? I think we begin to see a harvest. We'd see a harvest of life change that doesn't come from our power, but we would scatter seeds and we would watch God bring growth. I think it would look like seeds growing to an unexpected result, lives transformed, marriages saved, our city impacted, not because we were chasing a crowd, but because we were planting the seeds faithfully he's inviting us to. I think it would look like more unexpected messengers like you and me going out with the light of this gospel and and getting a front row seat to our God in action. I think we'd see the kingdom more and more as we wait for Jesus to come. We'd see it in our city for the glory of God and the good of Madison. Let me pray and invite God to do more of that in us together today. Jesus, I confess the ways that I I've gotten my expectations wrong. I've expected you to work through my ability or my knowledge or my whatever and and you are so good and faithful to continue to correct our hearts. Jesus, I pray that even today as the message of your kingdom, you as the good unexpected king as we as we bask in it, would you change us? Would you open our hands to surrender to you all of the expectations we've been holding against you? Would you free us to trust you and to go wherever you take us? Together today, Jesus, we just say we want more of you and everything you have to offer. We trust you. We pray this in your name. Amen.